This episode of Talk Your Book is proudly brought to you by Honan, providing a complete range of insurance, risk, and financial solutions. Bundy's called me up, told me to take a look, but stay stubborn as bulls and talk their own book. Get the money, get the money, get, get the money. Well, James Williamson, thanks for making your talk, your book debut. I thought before we get into your stock, I'd just like to ask you about Wentworth Williamson and, and how you guys look to invest. Thank you, Chris. Well, Wentworth Williamson's been going for about eight years. Uh, we owned, um, majority owned by the staff. We've got two trusts, we've got an income fund that invests in, in unlisted credit, that's to dentists and vets at the moment, and we just pay that cash monthly. Um, and we've got another trust, which is deep contrarian value, and we can go large cap, small cap, whatever we like, but we, the last several years, have pointed ourselves into the small cap, almost micro cap sometimes. And, and now that I've seen the data, I can understand why fundamentally we did it is because all the money has been flying, been sucked up to index funds to the large caps. And of course, value has been heavily on the nose. So, so we think we're pointing ourselves to that value pocket of the market. And so we, we think we're picking up some really interesting deals. Um, and, I, and I also personally feel that we've hit an inflection point where the money is starting to trickle back and, and could well be a flood. And we could have 10 plus years of our time. And what, uh, what stock do you want to talk about today? So we'll talk about MMA offshore. Um, it's got a very colourful history. Uh, you know, was uh, you know floated with fanfare, had several years of good times, was a market darling, and and now is completely forgotten about. And what's their, what are their core business units in, for MMA? So the primary, they've got about thirty ships, and there's uh, certain ships in there doing different things. Um, some ships you would call the trucks of the sea that bring cargo to oil rigs. Um, so we're talking about uh, oil and gas exploration, and some of them have got more specialised with cranes or submersibles, and some which are just literally tugs, um, commoditised type vehicles, which they, they're getting rid of. And so, 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 so if you go back in the history, you had quite high day rate, very cyclical industry, obviously, but they also made quite a lot of money on trading and would have a port, which we called Dampier back in the day, which they've sold off, they've got another one. And so when the cycle kicked back, you'll see quite a lot of money made from that too. And so exposure to oil and gas, exposure to Navy and defence, but also growing exposure to renewables in particular, offshore wind. Maybe talk us about that and, and how that's going for them. Yes, 100%. So look, the oil and gas industry is probably the lowest I've ever seen it. So I've been doing this for 25 years and um, it, it hit an, an, a really bad low and you could see it starting to recover and sort of, um, 18, 19, I could see their day rates picking up. Their day rates halved, by the way. Mm. Um, and I could see it starting to pick it up. And I could see that, and we didn't own the stock, but I could see that maybe there was a chance they could get themselves out of that debt trap. And I was just watching because I was nervous about the debt. And um, of course, COVID came and it mm. completely smashed them. And they just had to bite the bullet. So, I, you know, I was getting the, the calls as you do. Um, there's only a few funds left in Australia now that are prepared to look at these things. Mm. I got the call and I said, listen, we will only do it, but it's got to be huge and the bank's got to take a haircut. And I just got to make sure that debt's under control. Mm. And um, of course, it was huge and the debts took a haircut and uh, in we go. So we own, you know, we gain up to almost 4% of the business now. And what does their balance sheet look like now after that debt restructuring? 
So net debt to EBITDA is about two times. And I think the important thing to remember is, um, if, if I can just go back a little bit about the industry, um, if you're going to buy a ship, you know, the, the high-end ships are like $50 million, uh, up to $50 million. Some of the cargo ships, $30 million, those kind of numbers. So if you're going to buy a ship, that capital outlay, you probably want to return an equity at least 15% because you're taking on all the risk up front. And there are times in this industry where the return on equities is plus 25%, like enormous amount of money. And this is what we've seen in 13, 14 during those boom times. Return on equities are huge. These things trade about two times NTA. And then there's periods of time where you just get crushed. And you make no money. And, and so, so we, this is where we are now. And then you, you sort of trade at a third of the assets and or the tangible assets. And this is where we are now too. But through the cycle, your return on equity should be somewhere around those levels. So you never invest in these things when they're on um, peak margins, making 30% EBITDA mm. margins. You always look to invest in these things when it's the bottom of the cycle, a lot of ships have been stacked, um, and, and where it's pointing towards the recovery of this industry. I think this is a very cyclical industry. You've got to be very careful at your entry point, but you always enter at the bottom. And so we've talked about that debt restructuring. Banks took a bit of a haircut on their debt, but they've also still got some non-core assets they're still trying to sell. Talk me through how that process is going and what you expect the outcome to be there. Yeah, so their, their utilization of their core fleet is about 70%, which is not too bad. Day rates are still quite low. Um, but the non-core, which is about 10 of the 30 ships, are essentially just tugs. Yeah. And the ones they want to sell off are the tugs that are actually pull oil rigs around. So they're thirsty um, and some of them are stacked. So it's costing them money. So, so probably costing a couple of million dollars just keeping these things stacked. And so if they can sell them off possibly for $2 million each, um, you know, you, you, you rapidly start to bring down those, um, you know, bring down those debt levels further and, and, and currently sitting just over two times net debt to EBITDA is not a bad place to be at the bottom end of the cycle. And those are the ships that are low margin. Is that right? Yeah. Low margin commoditized ships. Yeah, so they yeah. just, just got to get rid of those. They've written that fleet down already anyway. Um, so they'll probably sell them at about book. And talk to me about the, the overall numbers. What's the, the market cap of MMA and what's your, your, your PE forecast for them? Yeah, so I'll just give you the, we had started this business listed in 1999 at an EV of about 300 million. Um, at its peak, it was about 1.3 billion. Market darling in the index covered by an army of analysts, the normal thing. Um, and today it's just shy of 200 million. And um, so you're looking at about four times EBITDA. It will, if you look at the PL, looks like it's not making money. Um, you're carrying quite heavy depreciation. It's a very yeah. young fleet. Um, it's about six years. So it's the youngest fleet in the world, which is good because it means your capex going forward is very low. Um, so you're carrying depreciation about 30 million, your capex is about 10. So, so even in the worst of the worst of times now, they'll probably split out a little bit of free cash flow. And you mentioned it earlier on, but the thing that really stood out to me when I had a look at through the numbers was the NTA levels and how attractive that looked. Maybe talk us through the NTA levels per share for MMA. Yes, so it's been a share consolidation. So the raising was at three cents. So effectively with the um, 10 for one trading, you know, at about 32 cents today. Um, so the end, so, so the, the, it's, it's trading about a third of tangible assets. Yeah. So it's nice and juicy. And as I said, 
you know, if it generates a decent return, say 8% plus return, if you expect it to trade a, a tangible book, um, but you always have cycles where it will trade well north of that, where it will trade at premiums to that. But, you know, I'm, I'm quite happy it goes back to a decent return and you can make a lot of money. And so when you're looking at something that is so far below NTA, particularly at a time when they are looking to sell off assets, as a, as a novice investor, is one of the things you're, you're looking for is that those assets are being sold at least at book value to make sure the NTA is a realistic NTA? 100%. So I think that, you know, normally when they do these big capital raises, they normally sweep clean and that's what they did too. So, so they wrote, wrote down those assets. Yeah. And the important thing to remember is those commoditized assets they're selling are costing them money. Yeah. So actually selling them off will actually boost their earnings number. And then of course, just, um, you know, add a written down book value and then just compress those debt levels more. I mean, really when something's a third of NTA, I'd be happy if they sold everything and gave me a three bagger. Like it, it, the, the more they sell, the better. Is that fair? Yeah, I suppose. I, I, I suppose. I suppose so. Um, I'm not. I'm not greedy, James. I'm happy. Yeah. With, I'm happy with thirty. To, a quick thirty to eighty cents. So I can move no, on. No, it's, it's, it's harder than you think sometimes when you've got a whole bunch of staff and you've got to start thinking about. Uh, um, you know, they've got a, a slipway in Bantam, which has got a a, a very long lease. Um, I was just thinking more about the Judd family trust than I was the, uh, the staff at MMA. Yeah, but, you, you make a good you know, interesting time. Interesting time is that um, a lot of these private competitors are on their knees, and some of the listed ones are also doing their recaps. Yeah. Um, and so, so there'd probably be some certain level of consolidation too, which is, is typical. But I think if these guys, I think they've got a great strategy. Um, as I said, I can see that day rates are at the bottom. You only need a small clip up to make start making a lot of money. Yeah, and that trading business is uh, a little sleeper for them. And with just a huge amount of work coming on, like you know, Barossa has been sanctions. Um, we've got Browse and Scarborough coming here in our region. We've got things happening in Mozambique, and then there's wind um, side of their business, which you know I've been following this company for a long, long time. And I'm just astounded. It's 20% of their earnings already um, and doing a lot of work off Taiwan. And of course, the Chinese ships can't compete with the Taiwan, what's happening on yeah. the wind there. And we've got about $50 billion of offshore wind um, appointed towards South Korea. And even the star of the South of Australia is a $10 billion uh, project, which could be sanctioned. So there's just, you know, if you look, down over the next couple of years, there's a lot of work coming. And so it is a timing thing. So with these type of investments, I think what you should do is you take it, you put it in your pocket and you leave it for, for three, four years, let it do its thing. You shouldn't really watch the share price every day to say, am I in the right time of the cycle? What's coming? Do I trust this management team? And can they get the job done? And then sit and hold. And I think what you touched on there is, is so much of the market currently is built around narratives and being a service provider to oil and gas probably isn't the most sexy narrative currently, but once you throw in their growth in wind and also Navy and defense, I mean, we've seen uh, international relations uh, souring, you know, we're currently part of a cold war. The spend for Navy and defense is, is just going to keep increasing as well. Do you think they're the sort of blue sky narratives that could get maybe some investors excited about this that wouldn't usually be in this space? Yeah, I agree with you. I think that um, 
I, th I think the market is quite driven by stories uh, a lot of the time. So, so that's probably true. So they can put some more stories to that. But the reality is, I think they'll get as much upside from the oil and gas. Yeah, put this personally. Yeah, is because it, it, we are so much. We are just being crushed. And if you look at uh, the oil price now, we're in the sixties, and this is why these projects are getting sanctioned. And if you look at the big guys like Chevron and so forth, I mean, they've got ten years of reserve. So mm. you know, you know, I'm getting older now. So every year goes quicker, you know. And then next minute you look, and they've got eight years of reserve. So Seven years of reserve. Okay, so when do you start to actually, uh, you, you, as a listed company, you've got to make sure your reserve life is plus 10 years. Yeah. There's issues. And lastly, the, the other thing I thought was of note was 46.7 million of franking credits they've got on their balance sheet. Do you see them being utilised? And what are your sort of expectations for dividends over the next 12 to 24 months? Yeah, so in terms of catalysts, um, just so you know, in terms of their earnings, it's sort of a, an H1 skew to the earnings, and we're in H2 now, and it's got to do with the monsoon season uh, um, Southeast Asia. But um, in terms of catalyst, as they start selling off these commoditized ships, that's an important catalyst, mm -hmm. an important catalyst for when they can start to think about uh, possibly paying off dividends because there's a cash sweep at the moment with the banks. Mm. So as soon as you get your gross debt levels down to a, a certain metrics, you can start to think about that. So, there's, so it's a market cap just over 100. It's franking carrots of 50, but it's also got losses of 100. Mm. So, yeah, there's a lot of value on that balance sheet. And when do you think they could start paying out dividends again? You, you know, I don't want to overpromise, underdeliver. So <laughs> I think safely say within two years. Yeah, cool. I'd rather do it like that. Great. Awesome, James. It's a, a great stock. It's on my watch list and I uh, look forward to following its progress. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thank you so much. Lovely chatting to you. Thank you. This episode of Talk Your Book was proudly brought to you by Honan, who go beyond a transactional insurance broker to deliver better outcomes for their clients. If you're enjoying Talk Your Book, make sure you subscribe to Chris Judd Invest. Please don't take anything you hear on this podcast as investment advice. Do your own research or seek out a professional investment advisor before committing any money into these markets.